Hello, this is Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and you are listening to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church, the church by the park in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the power of God's word. And so whether you are able to join us when we gather each week at 1015 on Sunday mornings, or whenever or wherever this podcast finds you, I hope that you are inspired anew to deeper faith and greater resolve by the message of the gospel. Our current sermon series is called The Saints of Summer. Throughout this summer, we are assembling an all-star lineup of both well-known and less well-known people whose lives proclaim the good news of God's grace. Here's this week's message. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. This week we are continuing in a series of sermons throughout this summer uh, called The Saints of Summer. We're assembling an all-star lineup of saints, and this Sunday, of course, we come to St. Francis. Just less than 800 years ago on a Saturday evening in October, St. Francis of Assisi passed away. He breathed his last lying on a thin mat of reeds inside a small thatched hut. He was accompanied by his brothers, the Order of the Brothers Minor, which means the Little Brothers. And they were at the Portiuncula, which was a collection of these little huts that the monks would live in around a humble chapel called San Damiano outside the gates of Assisi. The story goes that in the moments when St. Francis breathed his last, uh, birds came and landed on the roof of the hut and began to sing together, a choir singing Francis's soul up to heaven. 
And so when we think of St. Francis, we think of those stone statues. Usually we see them out in the garden with Francis there in his robe. Usually there's like a bunny rabbit by his feet or, or a bird on his shoulder or something like this. We think of him as this saint close to the animals. But for those who knew Francis in his younger years, they would have been quite surprised at this lasting memory of his. You see, he grew up a wealthy young man. His father was a textile merchant. His mother was an heiress. And he was, uh, by all rights, a profligate spender, a bit of a playboy, loved to go out and party, run all over town. And he lived this way throughout his years. Just as today the well-to-do aspire to be social media influencers, in his time, every Italian young man aspired to be a knight. And so Francis, of course, as a young man, aspired to be a knight. Famously, he uh, gathered a whole bunch of money, spent a ton of money on this great suit of armor to go off on campaign to, to prove his worth and win his nobility in the eyes of his friends and the people. But in his first trip out of Assisi for battle, Francis never made it. And either he was robbed or his fellow knights got tired and sick of this pompous rich kid and his shiny armor. Or, the, this is the most pious version, he had a vision from God that told him not to go and fight and instead to turn around. Either way, Francis returned to Assisi without his armor, without even the clothes on his back the very next day. Because the thing about him was that for all those rich kid antics all that time, Francis always had this recognition of the other side of life. Paul Sabatier, who wrote the sort of authoritative biography of Francis in the 19th century, tells a story of when a beggar came into Francis's father's shop and was asking alms in the name of God. And Francis quickly moved to drive him out. He didn't want to scare the wealthy patrons off. But then he thought to himself, what if someone had come in here in the name of some count or some baron asking for money? Would I have shooed them out of my shop? No. So how can I turn away someone coming to ask alms in the name of the Most High? And I think we've all had a moment like that where we do something or, or maybe don't do something and then immediately we realize that we should have acted otherwise. But when the moment passes, how many of us actually have the courage to then do something about it, to make amends? Because what Francis did, much to the surprise of the customers and his father, is he ran out of the shop. He tracked this beggar down, and he gave him all the money he had on him. And then just for good measure, he took off his clothes and gave the beggar his clothes as well. Oh, to be a fly on the wall when he walked back into his father's shop in his birthday suit. Can you even imagine what he said? The thing about Francis's transformation from playboy to saint, to monk, um, it took place over time. It took place over uh, nearly two years, much in the same way we heard about uh, Samson Occam, the Mohegan preacher of colonial New England that we heard about back in July. 
And I really take comfort in these stories. We think of conversion as, as like Saul's experience on the road to Damascus, where you just have a vision, then all of a sudden your life is different. But that's not how it was for Francis. It took him a long time for this sense of Christ's love and humility and mercy to grow in him, to take root in him. Sometimes the body takes time to absorb the message of the gospel for it to take root in our life and for new life to blossom. And so throughout the, the two years after his experience as a knight, Francis began to take long walks in the fields around Assisi, which are beautiful fields. And he began to be increasingly at odds with his father, who wanted him to just keep up the family business. And his father was increasingly embarrassed by Francis's tendency to take off all his clothes and give them away to beggars. I think any father might get a little embarrassed by that. But this all came to a head when, when Francis decided, he decided that he was going to do what the gospel said. He was going to sell everything he had, and he was going to use that money because he had been inspired to repair the chapel at San Damiano, which was falling down. And so he did just this. He sold everything he had, and he went to the chapel. And his father, realizing this was the last straw, called the police to come and get Francis. And so the police showed up, and they were there to arrest Francis for, for stealing from his father. And Francis said, I, I don't have anything except the clothes on my back. So he went into the little room where the priests change into their costumes, and he comes back with his clothes neatly folded, and he hands them to the police officers, and then he goes back to sitting there in the church once again. Every good Francis story involves spontaneous nudity. <laughs> Sabatier writes that St. Francis renounced everything only that he might possess everything. Francis realized what those words of Jesus remind us of this morning, that our possessions are not our possessions. Oftentimes, the things we possess possess us. In the end, the, the striving after wealth and riches and accumulation of stuff, that's not the thing that matters. It proves hollow and joyless. Instead, we should consider what God provides. We should take a moment and consider the wonder of creation, the richness of the things that we have. Where are those riches really found? When we look to, to see joy and life in our lives, where do we look? We look to the relationships, to the people we love, children, cousins, friends, all those who are close to us, and of course, to our pets. And Jesus was wise to point our attention to the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, to see the animals who do not strive after anything except to simply be. The 20th century British philosopher Mary Midgley once wrote, man does not naturally exist in species isolation. Says, All human communities have always involved animals. There has never been a moment in human history, recorded or prehistoric, when human beings have somehow brought themselves away from animals. 
domestication of animals is, is older than humanity itself. Dogs, of course, were the first domesticated species that humans lived with. Another uh, philosopher and friend of mine, Dr. Aaron McKenna, writes that for domestication to succeed, human beings had to be able to understand the dog being social signals. They had to form individual bonds. It doesn't work to rely on force or treat animals as machines. That's not how you tame a wild beast. You instead recognize them as social beings. It's no surprise then that the noun pet and the verb pet are the same word. That the way our pets become tame, the way we build our relationships is through touch, by stroking them gently. This was how dogs and became humanity's best friend. Cats are fine too. <laughs> as a millennial with human children, I often chafe at the tendency of my generation to treat dogs as though they were human children. People my age tend to follow the puppy principle, which is that people usually prioritize puppies. Yeah. <laughs> but this is because, as Michelle says, there is real individual affection rather than exploitation between our pets and our people. And this was something that St. Francis became known for, that hymn that we sang just a moment ago, that was composed by Francis. It, the words are taken from the Canticle of the Sun, uh, which is why they have a kind of 13th century ring to them at times. Francis was known to go out into the fields and proclaim the gospel to the birds of the air. There's a story about him going and, and finding a, a flock of storks in a field, and rather than continuing to walk by, he turned aside. He said to them, Brother birds, you ought to praise and love your creator. Look at the feathers he has given you for clothing. Look at the wings for flying. He has made you the noblest of all creatures and permits you to live here in this beautiful place. How blessed are you? And the birds, the story goes, nodded along right with him, spread their wings out in thanks and praise, and Francis blessed those birds carefully. He didn't touch their feathers because you know you're not supposed to do that. He used the sleeve of his robe. We too draw near to the fullness of creation. We are blessed to do it here on Sunday mornings in this beautiful place, but also in the ways that we bring creation into our homes. We bring these these animals into our homes. We grow plants by the window. And so the truth that Francis uncovered is that the love of God is found by removing those layers that keep us separated from nature, from the fullness of creation. And that when we do that, when we humble ourselves in that way, we start to experience the love of God more genuinely. And so we draw near to creation this morning. Please keep your clothes on. <laughs> but we honor this gift. We recognize that the love of Christ is in all things and flows through us. And so this morning we are going to do that by, by speaking the words, by reminding these little friends of ours, all the critters that have been brought, that they were created by God and that God loves them. 
And in honoring that, we honor God's love for us as well. So for those of you who would like, I'd invite you to come forward now and, and uh, I'll offer a blessing to your pets. Friends, from the sun that shines above to the earthworm beneath our feet, everything in creation breathes the ineffable sigh of beings that live and suffer and die, but in their life and in their death, they all play a part in this beautiful divine work of creation. And so it is for us as well. Yet God saw fit to give us a special gift. God saw fit to take human form to come and to share with us the gospel so that we may share it forth. Perhaps it was because unlike dogs, unlike cats, unlike other animals, we have a hard time appreciating the beauty of nature, that God had to come and remind us especially to do so. But God does draw near and remind us that we are all loved, much loved by God, this day and always. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message has been a blessing to you. I know that having you listen to it is a blessing to our church. For more information about Union and its ministries, you can visit churchbythepark.org or find us on social media. Our handle is at churchbythepark. Our theme music is by the 126ers. Once again, blessings on your day, on your week, and may the peace of Christ be with you.